Hello, and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. In this episode, we speak with American fiddler Michael Barrett Donovan and his two bandmates in the band Buster Sledge, Jakob Folke Ossum and Mikael Jonasen. Now, Michael moved to Norway just before the pandemic hit, but he has already managed to become a very familiar face on the Norwegian folk music scene, already playing with several different bands and projects. Um, I first met Michael through the folk scene, but it turns out he has a fairly eclectic musical background, which gives him lots of interesting perspectives on music and art. Now, our conversation in this episode touches on a number of different topics, like uh, Michael's perception of the Norwegian folk scene, how his musical background affects his thinking about composing and arranging music, uh, the art of juggling classical and folksy technique on the fiddle, and um, the importance of boundaries in music making. We also speak about the band Buster Sledge, their new album, and how they work together as a band. This episode was recorded at Norwegian Folk Festival Folkemusik Veka in Ård. Uh, and recording podcasts in the field like this is always a blast. There's tons of good energy in the air, and um, yeah, hopefully there will be more opportunities like this over the summer. With all that said, here is my conversation with Michael Barrett Donovan and Buster Sledge. Michael Barrett Donovan, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Also, welcome to uh, Mikael Jonsson and Jakob Folke Ossum from uh, Buster Sledge. Hello. Hello. So, uh, um, thanks for a great show last night. Um, we're at uh, the festival Folkemusik Veka. Mm. Uh, have you been there before, Michael? No, I haven't. No. First? Yeah, first time in uh, all and first time at the festival. Yeah. Uh, yep. It's also my first time uh, hearing you guys live. Uh, I've been listening to your albums and or your, your releases. Um, really... Yeah, I'm a big fan. Like I'm a I'm a big fan of American folky music and all its facets anyway, so this is right up my alley. But really great hearing you guys live. So I'd love to talk a bit about your sound and, and how you have developed it and all that stuff. But first, Michael, we are we Norwegians always love whenever artists and musicians from abroad come to our country and embraces our culture and <laughs> <laughs> and, and validates us. So uh, like, for how long have you been in Norway at this point? It's uh, going to be three years uh, in the coming August. Yeah, yeah. great. Can you just uh, give us the, your story? Yeah, um, I uh, came here um, because of a girl. Uh, so it's the, the very typical uh, American uh, come to Norway uh, story. Uh, of course. Some people uh, call it uh, uh, sexual, uh, being a sexual refugee. <laughs> um, so that's... Uh, that's a that's a crowd pleaser of a joke there, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, I came here and um, it was uh, right before Corona, um, six months or so. So it was it was kind of interesting the way it happened because um, it was enough time to sort of meet Jakob and Mikal and uh, start playing as a band together. Um, not enough time to get sort of any momentum going in the normal world, the normal pre-Corona world. Yeah. But then when Corona happened uh, and, and started affecting kind of daily life, um, it also affected uh, how available people were. Yeah. Suddenly everyone was extremely available. So in a way, maybe your timing was pretty good when it comes to coming to a new country and establishing a, a, a music career. Yeah. In a, sense, uh, in a sense, if I had come when Corona had already started, not only would it not have been possible, but um, I don't think I would have been able to meet half the people I was able to meet. No. Um, so and getting kind of plugged into the folk music community, 
underneath the shutdowns, the the suddenly I met kind of everyone in the Oslo <laughs> yeah. folk yeah, community in a couple months yeah. that would have been out touring or in other countries. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So suddenly, and everyone really wanted to interact, yeah. and, <laughs> and also because there was nothing else going on, I had a lot of time in between those gatherings to listen to recordings and learn tunes, um, and uh, and come back to the parties knowing more songs exactly, and stuff. Yeah. So it was it was kind of uh, very uh, fortuitous. Yeah, because like in many ways, I sort of miss it. <laughs> like you know the the because. Now I realize like how busy life is when you're a freelance musician doing all yeah. all kinds of things at once. So how hard it is to get like a new project going or get people to meet up every week to rehearse and all that stuff. Like it's pretty much impossible. But yeah. back um, yeah back then th- things like that could happen. But uh, what was your uh, musical background in the U.S. before coming here? Yeah, were you already um, did you have a established career? I, sure, uh, with uh, with air quotes. Um, Where were you based in the uh, U.S.? I uh, moved here from New York City. Great. And um, I had done my my formal education in, in uh, classical music composition, and um, was always a bit eclectic in in tastes. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess uh, I I gigged a lot in New York, but with different things. Kind of whatever paid, mm-hmm. I would say yes to a gig and then go home and learn the skill. But classical music. Did you? How? Wh- when did you start playing like folky uh, styles? That was that was something that happened kind of gradually over time. Um, I was interested in playing what I thought was fiddle uh, yeah. when I was in my teens and stuff, um, which was just like me listening to Old Crow Medicine Show and Trample by Turtles and thinking like sure. playing like, like g- gateway drugs. Yeah, kind of. And uh, so I was kind of open to the idea, but I didn't have any kind of formal education in it. Um, and uh, and meanwhile, I was learning classical violin in the background. So I think that the sort of technique plus having the sound aesthetic of holding the fiddle low and, and playing hard were two things that sort of sat separately from each other. And then when I moved to New York and started playing kind of more jazz and uh, playing more kind of gigs, then they I started using my classical technique to kind of learn music fast or play like uh, complicated double stop lines that other people couldn't play to kind of stick out or whatever. Some people will claim that it's very hard to combine like uh, the classical technique, if you will, will with playing more like folky styles. Like yeah. p- people say, it's hard to like if if you've invested too many hours of your life learning the classical style, it's yeah. very hard to to play the folky style convincingly. Right. But what would you say to that? I I would say that it's it's not necessarily the case. I would say that it, it's more that. At least in my experience, what was difficult for me is that I, I used the classical technique as a value system and not just as a technique, not as a tool, but as a like a set of principles. Okay. So things that weren't part of it were bad or not as good. So holding the bow in the, the way that my professor taught me to hold the bow, that's the right way to hold the bow. Yeah. Or holding your, uh, your thumb kind of uh, erect when uh, you're... Uh, on the left hand, Mm -hmm. that's the right way to do it because it allows you, and those things are all related to the type of music you play in classical music. So obviously if you take all of those those techniques into a style of music where what you play is different, then of course the technique that you need to accomplish those things is different. But that's what I think makes it more feeling incompatible. If you take classical technique to playing fiddle music, the the technical demands of that music are totally different yeah. so therefore your technique should be different yeah. but i think that at least for me it took a long time like several years for me to start actually changing my technique 
for when I play. Yeah. Like I would hold the instrument differently and do different things at a classical music concert than I would playing with Buster Sledge, for example. Yeah. Um, but I think that that just took years for me to under really understand yeah. that it's okay to. But did you have to unlearn stuff then? Is that in a way? It's more like I got comfortable sh shifting. Yeah. Like uh, right now I'm holding the instrument this way, but if this type of situation comes up, then I'll hold the instrument this way. Yeah. Like with my fiddle technique, I can't do high shifting, but I happen to be playing a style of music when I'm playing fiddle that doesn't require high shifting. No. But if I suddenly had to do that, I would change the way I hold the instrument and, and get the note. Yeah. So it, it's not that I had to unlearn, but more kind of compartmentalize. Yeah, so when you have a specific sound in mind, then you use the, the technique that will allow you to get, get there in a way. Right, and so, yeah, right. And it's a, a practical thing in that sense. So I suppose it just comes down to having awareness of what it is that you're playing. Like, yeah. because like the cliche is that, like we hear a, um, a classically trained violinist play like a reed or something, and it doesn't sound like a reed at all, even though they play <laughs> the right notes. You know what I mean? Right. But there's just so many things that go, goes into music more than the notes yeah. uh, in 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 the right speed, like the um, sound and technique. And looks like you have something you want to say, Michael? Yeah, just um, uh, I think also something that might be different for uh, many classical musicians transitioning to playing folksy music is that. Um, there's a different way of learning songs, but you, Michael, have always played other instruments and other genres. Like you played in bands right, yeah. as a kid and stuff. Yeah. You didn't like, as an adult, uh, stop reading music and then no, like, yeah. <laughs> trying to learn everything in a new way. And I think that uh, plays into it a bit. Yeah, that, that's that's uh, that's true. I like played in a metal band when I oh, was really? in, in uh, high school, and uh, yeah, it's totally. Yeah, yeah it sounds like that's always been a part of your musical life. Then, like all of these different. Yeah, totally. Things that you have, a lot of musical genres, maybe you have different spots for it in your brain and you can draw on it whenever it's needed. I think I think what that really comes down to is that we spend a lot of time in my family in the car and my dad really only liked to listen to the type of music that he liked. Okay. And what, I really what, what, liked... What would that, that be? Uh, like stuff that was maybe a bit classic for people of his generation in his like geographic location in the US which is California and so it's like Cat Stevens, Santana, Bellamy Brothers, That's uh, great stuff. Statler Brothers. Amazing. Um, yeah, it was good music and, and especially looking back on it like the the people playing on those records are It's really like craftsmanship that, that kind yeah. of music. Yeah. yeah, everything from the production to the musicianship is mm. all very high quality. So it's it wasn't a bad thing. But it wasn't the music that I was personally interested in. No. But because we spent so much time in the car, and because you're in that environment, it's a little bubble, you know, mm -hmm. steel bubble. Um, I just kind of had to sit there and appreciate it for everything it was. Yeah. And then I had my own music time later. So like, uh, if I wanted to listen to music, I had to do it alone. Yeah. But having those kind of separate compartments of life where you, no matter what you're listening to, just find what you like about it and move on. Huh, that's uh, interesting. I think I think that was probably a pretty formative uh, environment because we did spend so much time in the car and that was such a kind of core institution yeah. in the family, huh. a social institution. I have a follow-up question to this, but I'm going to circle around it for now. Like, uh, First, tell me about your um, your meeting or how was meeting Norwegian folk music? Did you have any experience with that before coming to Norway? Or? No, actually, no. no um, there was a bar I played at. This is the only thing that happened before. Is I there was a bar I played at um, 
in New York that was owned by a, uh, a woman from Trondheim that oh, really? had lived in the U.S. for really? something like 30 years. Her name was uh, Tuna Johansson. Okay. And the bar is called Sunny's in Red Hook. Anyone listening that is in New York should go there. Huh. Uh, very cool bar with um, lots of music on every night of the week. And she, when I was moving, uh, played uh, Per Spadman for me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Which like, is like the, the most... Uh, what you say, stereotype Norwegian <laughs> children's song folk music uh, tune, yeah. Right, and and I, I. But did she play a fiddle herself? Or? No, she um, she sang me the melody oh, okay, while yeah. playing guitar and then oh, sang the song. Great, and it was part of a jam. And I remember struggling with the melody. Uh, it's in three, and it was a form that I wasn't used to, mm-hmm. and the melody form I wasn't used to. Like I remember not being able to kind of find the key in my ear. Yeah, and. Um, and then when I moved here, we went and saw Vessen. Uh, yeah. And then afterwards, there was a folk music dance at Riksenen. And uh, and also, I remember seeing people sit, playing Springer and uh, not being able to really make sense of the, the foot tapping. Uh, yeah, well. And in, in, yeah, in relationship to the uh, the rhythm. But then um, the, I think the big thing that happened for me is when I... Uh, I met the guy, uh, Olav Christer Rosseberg, yeah. uh, Laffen, uh, at a bluegrass jam. And um, he invited me to his house to hang out with him and stuff like that. And then I started getting kind of introduced to Norwegian folk music through Rugeland's music, which is a which little is, more accessible. Is, yeah, well, yeah, Rugeland is like on the on the southwest coast of Norway. Right. So it makes sense that that has a bit more of connection to like the, the British Isles and is a, is a bit more European in a way. Mm. Whereas the music that from where I'm from, which is as far from the ocean as you can get in Norway, actually, <laughs> is, is very... Fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> it's very different from mostly anything else. So, but um, I'm curious, like having so many different musical styles going mm. on at once, like have you ever struggled with like... Uh, who are you as a musician? And like, I mean, whenever you're writing your bios and or like trying to come up with, okay, what is it that I want to create for mm. myself? Not playing in everyone, everybody else's projects. Is that something you've struggled with at all? Or? Yeah, yeah. That I suppose we all do, but I'm just curious for your takes since you have so many different things. Sure, uh, and and it doesn't make it any easier that I continue as a freelance musician to say yes to lots of different gigs. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, um, but I think in a way that is, um, even though it is a, a, a bit of a vacuous thing in and of itself, uh, openness is a trait. Um, e- even though, uh, I mean, for example, in Buster Sledge, I, I think that my openness, or at least my kind of eclecticism, is is balanced out by Jakob and Mikael being very rooted, much more rooted than me, uh, in in playing bluegrass music yeah. and and like their depth of references in the music and ability to technically accomplish the music in a, in a pure stylistic sense is is a, at a much higher level than me. So you'd say that that has kind of helped you t- develop your own voice in a way like by giving you some some boundaries. Yeah. Because that's I think not having boundaries is is possibly one of the the most unattractive things uh in music uh, for me, I think. In um, what way? In the sense that um, if it, I think that music can very quickly, especially now in the modern age when everyone so has so much time and is so uh, flink, <laughs> is so talented yeah. and uh, clever and all that kind of stuff, is that uh, music can very quickly become aesthetically unbalanced. So if you're going to have very complicated lyrics, 
then it's good to maybe have a simple subject or mm, not that many chords or uh, a simple rhythm. Or if you're going to have a very complicated rhythm, maybe you repeat the vocal line lots of times. That uh, kind of like if you're cho choosing your stats in like a role playing game, uh, like, uh, yeah, like uh, you get like uh, charisma points, right? And yeah. you have to pick your uh, you have to like pick your categories and stuff. Sure. It's like if you're going to move all the points to the rhythm category, then you're going to subtract those points from from the harmonic category or the the text category or something oh, like that. Yeah, that, that it's that, that way you're working, like thinking about okay, I have <laughs> this <laughs> just a certain um, um, amount of like flink points to, to throw yeah. into, <laughs> into a song. Well, that's the problem. We have too many flink points, and uh, it's like uh, um, yeah, because flink is music in Norwegian. That's kind of a term for bad, or like that, that's generally not a positive thing. It's yeah, well, I, I'm, it's not, I'm not sure what the, the, the English word for it would be, but it's yeah, it's like has a yeah, I would say I think it's pejorative, it's okay. like a it's like a slightly negative connotation, yeah, but it's, it's like being fancy just for the sake of being fancy without having a vision behind it, something like that, yeah, sure. But that's, I mean, again, that's kind of that's uh, when aesthetics become unbalanced and stuff, and and I, I get I think I get like really overwhelmed by by that. Mm. Uh, it I have to kind of be in a very special mindset to just kind of be totally willing to take in all of the information that can sometimes come through music that isn't the way that I'm describing. But, exactly. Yeah. So so yeah, I I do definitely struggle with um, how to figure uh, figure out how to sort of express myself as a musician. But I think this is a, a musical environment that that I feel a lot more focused in. Um, and I think the, the the types of dogmas that we've that we've kind of found ourselves in in this band, like oh we're we're three instruments and we're mm. playing acoustically, which it's been tempting sometimes in the studio to go outside of that, and we do sometimes we are flexible and stuff, but at the same time it's that's we're we're kind of very focused on maintaining that as a, a yeah. core element of the group, and yeah, that's knowing what you're writing for is. Uh, um, a good point of departure for knowing why you're writing or sure. who you're writing for or how you're going to do it and that exactly. kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, but you guys, Buster Sledge, you have a new album out. Yeah, like, <laughs> today. Uh, <laughs> a few hours ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's been uh, since since midnight. So, uh, great. Congrats. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So, um, I'm just curious. How did you guys meet? Like, how did the band get started? It's time what? for you guys to meet Jakob. <laughs> Oh <laughs> uh, well, I mean, uh, Mikael and I knew, knew each other uh, like before Michael moved to Norway. But when when uh, you guys part were part of the on the bluegrass scene in Norway for a yeah 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 how how is that scene by the way is it is, is it I I I'm, I'm not familiar <laughs> with it myself but yeah. I just have the impression that many people or everything's relative but yeah. quite a few people are playing uh, on a on a fairly high level in Norway. Yeah, in the bluegrass scene, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a small, small scene, but uh, with uh, some really eager people and, yeah, and right. uh, dedicated people, I think. Yeah. The smaller the scene, the more dedicated the people. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh, but when uh, Michael moved to Norway, he uh, he uh, you, you posted something on the Norwegian bluegrass forum, and you know it's not that many people, so I think Mikael uh, <laughs> responded. Pretty quickly uh, to Michael and and uh, what, yeah, did, what did he post? 
No, just like, yeah, I think you just like wondered if it was any jams going on in Oslo, like Bluegrass Jams or something. And But did you know Michael from before? Or? No, no, uh, Mikael. I knew uh -huh. Mikael from before. So so uh, Mikael set up a jam and we started jamming and then then you came with some songs and uh, and then we were on. So like, yeah. And uh, after uh, four months or something, we recorded the first album, I think. Or yeah, yeah, it was. It, yeah, oh, about that, yeah. It's quite brave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just always uh, when somebody posts in in the bluegrass group because we're very like uh, the Norwegian bluegrass scene is of course mostly comprised of Norwegian people, but whenever like a real in the flesh American yeah. shows up, they, we're very eager to meet them. So we jumped on Michael pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> it was an ambush. Yeah. <laughs> But something that happened when we started doing the the songs uh, was that we kind of started workshopping them right away. Did, and you, did you start writing original material right away, or did you play covers? Or I've I've been uh, I've been writing music kind of since I started playing music. I guess I didn't say that, but uh, but yeah, I mean I think I wrote. I I think that when I started learning all of my instruments, instead of kind of learning my exercises, I would kind of write something for myself to play okay. that had to do with the exercises, and that involved. Yeah, so I, I mean, uh, I had a big kind of pile of songs that and nowhere to take them, um, and uh, and so this was kind of my first experience actually having a band okay. um, where I could take my original music to that band and and work on it and work on performing it myself. Uh, classical composition can be uh, a bit um, uh, disconnected in a sense that you spend all this time writing this thing and you give it to other people to play and then you sit mm. in the audience and. It's like uh, there's um, uh, there's mm, it feels like you kind of have to watch the planet from space. Yeah, you, you yeah, you have to let it go at some point. Whereas if you also perform it yourself, you can yeah you can, you can experience the music all the way from inception to performance. Yeah, and 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 uh, and I think that I also like uh, had the experience with classical music that of like um, you you sort of like someone hears your something that you wrote or or was that the concert and the the way that they compliment you is kind of like wow you're so smart or <laughs> what a what um i'm so impressed by the the the, the technical feat that you accomplished there <laughs> yeah. whereas i feel like when we play in this band or i think i realized more and more that what the type of effect i wanted to have was this type of effect that where you play a show and people say I really like that one line or yeah, this it song it resonated with them. Yeah, that it created an emotional response mm, th mm. because the the musical idiom is more accessible or the the music itself uh activated an emotion, god forbid, in <laughs> 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 someone that wasn't having to do with the intellectualism or the the kind of feeling smart or thinking that the music is smart and therefore feeling smart by being able to understand it on some level or something yeah. like that. Just about that made me feel this way, and right. I, I think uh, the, there was kind of a confluence of things there. Where it was like when I met these guys and I had the songs and kind of saw how much interest they expressed in arranging them. Yeah. Whereas I kind of am a bit like uh, hands off with arrangement. Mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of just worked really nicely and very smoothly from the very beginning. Yeah. And and the music sounded so much better than I could get it to sound myself because mm. there's a lot of stuff I just don't. <laughs> kind of have the mental capacity. Uh, but are you like? Uh, is it hard for you to like let go? Also, are you a control freak, or is it easier for you to collaborate? Just on the details that I really care about, I think. Mm -hmm. But um, but I think we all have our kind of things that in the band that we really care about, 
Yeah. And I think it was just the challenge there was maybe giving enough space yeah. for each other to have the things. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> <laughs> because being in a band can be really hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a way. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a gun to his head. You can't see that with the microphone. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I think I'm mostly, I think I care about kind of the overall vibe of the song and the and the text and mm -hmm. the melody and stuff and i think there are some times where where like the thing that is suggested i think maybe works against the way i see the song kind of going in a general sense yeah. but i think as long as it achieves that general effect then i kind of don't care how it happens so um yeah but I think uh, it's, it's something you said about like we have really different musical backgrounds and we care about really different stuff in the music, but we, like we always get it to mix in some way, and we, and it depends from song to song. But like there's usually some, uh, or there's usually like a quite good uh, carpet of lyrics and melodic structure that Michael brings in, and then. Jakob is extremely good at chords and voicings and stuff, and then I like playing the banjo, so we have, <laughs> <laughs> we have our uh, different uh, responsibilities. And, no, but like uh, harmonies and that kind of stuff, we're, we're thinking about stuff in very different ways, uh, but it always works out in, in, in something yeah. that none of us could do separately. No, that's the best experience you can have in a band, right? Like having... What is it like the sound being greater than the parts or whatever? Like, yeah. like coming up with a sound that you realize you could never have done this by yourself, and it's just the meeting of these individuals kind of facilitates that sound. Yeah, and I feel often like when we when Michael brings in a song and we start working on it, and and uh, when we come up with an idea, it's like it's very yes orientated kind of like yeah yeah let's try that and like we start just building on it you know uh, arrangement wise and and for the song and it just like ends up being cool yeah arrangement for the song. How would you describe Buster Sledge's music? You should just check it out. No, that's that's not. <laughs> you're not allowed to answer that. <laughs> it's it's really weird. You should check it out. Um, I I think uh, one way to describe it, I think that maybe makes sense to some of the more like music nerd listeners, is that we have kind of like the the setup of the band, um, like in terms of like the structure of how we approach making the music is very kind of bluegrass hardware. Mm -hmm. if we're going to go with the computer analogy sure, here. Sure, why not? And then the software is just other stuff. Huh. Um, so I think that even though for us, structurally speaking, the way that we're approaching the music is from a place of like everything from tone production to how is the, the musical backdrop organized? How do the vocals sit in the music? Where do fills go? What types of chords or sounds or embellishments are being used? Um, that kind of stuff is all very kind of, for us, rooted in a, a, a shared background in playing bluegrass music. Mm. But I think the result is often something that doesn't sound like bluegrass at all, which people remind us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> being the case. Who, 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 who would you remind about that? Um, I think that we've, we've uh, had the experience of sending our music to people in the more hardcore straight ahead bluegrass. Yeah, because uh, bluegrass is probably the most like... That's a very fanatical uh, definition of, of your music. <laughs> like, uh, has to, the mandolin has to play like this, and you have to use these chords. And it's only five instruments in bluegrass. Yeah, <laughs> it's like part genre and part preservation <laughs> project, <Yeah. laughs> which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> no, but I, yeah, I can kind of relate to that uh, description, I think, of your music, because I felt like I could, I'm, I'm not a big bluegrass connoisseur, by the way, but I really like the music. Uh, and I, like, I can totally, it sounds like a bluegrass band, but just with, like, or like a bluegrass band that takes all of these unexpected turns. Like all of a sudden, it's a bit like a bit of Beatles harmony in there, and <laughs> and then it's kind of floats into more like jazzy improvised territory. But then it's bluegrass again, and and yeah, sometimes you you're going in a slightly more like slick direction, like uh, Union Station kind of thing, and then it's more like rough again. So yeah, I really like that aspect of it. I think that it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly what it is that you are. Mm. I, I just think on on that note, I, I've been saying that th- this mostly pertains to me, but you haven't complained when I've said it before. But I think, uh, <laughs> me especially on the banjo, I I take the bluegrass technique very seriously, and I try to do everything like out uh, coming out from the bluegrass technique instead of like skipping over it. I wouldn't want to play because I play banjo with finger picks. It's three finger picks, and I kind of want to uh, make that dogma a big part of my playing. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't like play with a normal pick or like lose the syncopation that you get from from the technique and I think we all like even though we do some really crazy stuff uh, in a bluegrass um, or compared to bluegrass we're all like the playing techniques are very rooted in the bluegrass like yeah. dogma if you say but like what we play isn't necessarily oh that's why maybe why I kind of got that idea that it sounds like bluegrass but with all of these yeah. added things and I think something that I wanted to mention is that, like, uh, the I think another an, an element of how the band kind of produces material that um, that th- that works great is that I'm I'm like kind of constantly searching for new things to listen to, and um, I'll often kind of get really obsessed with one band or one album for like a couple of days and listen to it kind of over and over and over again. Yeah. And then often when I write a song, it is something like oh i listened to the album it's kind of like oh i really like that the guy who writes whoever writes text for this album that kind of like he kind of focuses on this one thing i've never done that before that would be really interesting or yeah. like oh what a cool musical aesthetic or like uh you know a, like a vibe in a song or something like that mm. and then and then it's cool to take that impression or that thing that i'm interested in and it can be from like i was listening to like Kanye west's the discography or like uh or sometimes you get like really into the blues or um, or that kind of stuff and it's just like taking that and then putting it into the kind of the hardware going yeah. back to the hardware mm-hmm. analogy it's like uh, that's a kind of comfortable it, it creates a very kind of comfortable dynamic f- for me uh, because it's I don't want to be like uh, ween and like just like be a different band and a different genre for yeah. every <laughs> yeah for every because album. that can be a struggle of course and I can imagine if you have all of these ideas yeah, there has to be like a common, there has to be a red thread. Yeah, it's like the perfect marriage, this kind of band. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah except there's three people. So like, so this is this is like a very stereotypical question coming from Norwegian, but like, any differences between the, the US folk scene and the Norwegian scene, or just the music scene in general, that you would... Uh, yeah, I, I think one thing is just has to do with like a, it's a group psychology thing, which is that um, I think that people that interact with, for example, if, if what you meant is Norwegian folk music, yeah, that's, is that they're they're interacting directly with a music style that is is very clearly and uncontroversially connected to 
their their like national background yeah and that kind of a thing so there's a very uncomplicated despite how that fits into the culture and what it means and all sure. that kind of stuff the that harding uh harding Ferna is a norwegian instrument and that the styles from the different valleys are very norwegian and, mm-hmm. and you can claim a sense of you know air quotes here that ownership yeah. of music through that is is kind of indisputable um, whereas in the U.S., I think that a lot of the folk music fits into a way more complicated cultural tapestry. Yeah. And I think that that affects the way people <laughs> approach the music. Hmm. Um, I've noticed as a result of that that there are, I've met a lot more Norwegian folk musicians that approach the music from a more scientific okay. approach. Like people are more focused on intonation or hmm. there's a much more of a, an established and shared school for if there's a right bowing for this tune. Yeah. Like there's a way that the bows, you know, and and if learning the bowing is a part of learning the tune, whereas it's more often the case that uh, with American fiddle traditions and stuff that the the melody and the bowing are sort of separate, mm. and and I think that has to do with things being often more fragmented as the result of the the kind of background of the music being more complicated. Yeah. Um, so I would say that my general like very overarching impression has to do with that, that it's been cool to in counter groups of people that have more overlapping approaches to the music mm. then turn around and look at the music that so I know from the would US. Would it be like more individualistic in the US like in a way or, or do you mean that since the common maybe isn't as set like right. people are allowed again with their quotes to, to be more personal with their approach without the rest of the scene uh Yes, yes and no. I, I would say that it's like individualistic in the sense that there are a lot of individual ideas of what the community should look like. So it's like small islands rather than one large island or something. It's very fragmented. Yeah. But the but each fragment is kind of based on an individualistic approach to the way that thing should look. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because the that again that that line between the kind of culture and cultural uh and national group psychology Mm. there is like yeah more there are just more angles um and the music wasn't as well preserved in some cases it's not as well supported by the government in other cases you know it's just like uh yeah the the way that i don't think people when they go to an old time concert in the u.s and hear someone playing uh renditions of archive uh recordings Mm think when they go there that they're supporting the nation uh, no in the it, same it, way it's just a genre of music in the same way as jazz or or classical is or metal or it's yeah. just oh i'm just going to a concert whereas i think when you support uh norwegian folk music you're supporting norwegian culture and the, yeah uh, it's uh so i think I, I think the the sort of i don't know uh the effect of nation building on like folk music in norway was like I don't know on some I, I I perceive it to be sort of positive in mm. that sense. Um but uh but yeah, I would say that was my that I would say that's my main impression. But yeah. it's it's helped me to encounter to again turn around and look at American folk music. Yeah. Because it was very overwhelming before and very dominated by these kind of fragmented yeah. camps and stuff. So it was hard to get into. You know, it's always interesting like watching your own culture from another viewpoint in a way. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, so I mean, you have a busy day. You're off to something, uh, so I'm not going to keep you too, too much longer. 
Yeah, I'd, re- uh, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. off to the next interview. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but thank you, thank you so much for for having us. Uh, uh, great. I just have one last question that I like to ask people. Uh, that I want a uh, like an album recommendation from each of you guys. <laughs> oh, cool, fun. Okay, <laughs> me first. Me first. Uh, can I can I have two seconds? You can you can edit my thinking time out. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, I I know. Um, I think I think this was actually the album that um, inspired me to kind of f- finish the songs. It it, it was kind of a a, a core uh, uh, thematic f- part of me finishing the album that was just released today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's uh, going up on the mountain by Jody uh, Stecker. Okay. Um, and it was. Uh, I think it was everything from the songs that he picked have on the album, his singing style, the way the songs were presented, and uh, and I love his version of uh, Oh, the Dreadful Wind and Rain. Um, and yeah, I'd recommend that album to Great. people. Very cool uh, in the middle of stuff. So there you go. That's my recommendation. Turning it over to me, Kali <laughs> Unasan. Yep. Uh, it's a little bit newer, but I think uh, a big hero of mine on the banjo is also been Bela Fleck. Mm. And his uh, last album, My Bluegrass Heart, released uh, last fall, is like uh, is a spiritual successor to two albums that he made like uh, 30 and 20 years ago. And it just fit, ticks all the boxes for me. It's like progressive instrumental bluegrass, but very deeply rooted in the banjo techniques and bluegrass style but yeah. he does some crazy stuff and he writes really uh catchy melodies even though the playing is like super fancy at times mm. you can always hum the tune after you heard it yeah yeah i think he is really great at that like making extremely complicated music sounding very accessible <laughs> if you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah he's an inspiration should be <laughs> Jakob Folkelson. <laughs> Well, uh, the f- first thing that comes to mind now uh, was a rec- uh, recently uh, released album from a band called uh, Mr. Sun. It was a cool, cool album with uh, like a mixture of, of bluegrass and jazz um, and uh, lots of uh, really good uh, improvisation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It came out in May, I think. Yeah. There's also oh, there's always a, uh, a danger when I ask this question, and if someone mentioned an album that I think that I should know of if I'm going to pretend that I know the artist or (laughs) (laughs) okay anyway um, thanks for coming on the show Um, if people want to learn more about Buster Sledge and the new album how can they do that we're um, you can catch us on the astral plane in your dreams um, in your backyard Uh, we're we're on the internet Uh, the band's called Buster Sledge B U S T E R space sledge S L E D G E and uh, <laughs> uh we have uh Instagram uh Facebook we've got Gmail account uh <laughs> can people send you a postcard we have a vips account <laughs> <laughs> um so it's uh very accessible Amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Uh, speaking of uh, accessible, could we perhaps have a tune before you leave? You may. Great. We're gonna play a song called uh, from the from the new album that came out today. It's called Call Home. Uh, the the song is called uh, 
dead leaves. Um, I hope for any trees out there that have recently lost leaves, uh, trigger, trigger warning. Uh, here's here's how the song goes. <laughs> Get it, get it. The dead leaves never had a place to go. 